When they first became available, many treatments and preventive interventions for COVID-19 were in short supply, which required policymakers to decide how to allocate them. Although Black, Indigenous, and Latinx people have been at high risk for poor outcomes during the pandemic, explicitly including race or ethnicity as a factor in allocation policies raises serious legal issues. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Timothy Jost, a professor emeritus at the Washington and Lee University School of Law. Professor Jost has written a perspective article about considering race and ethnicity in COVID risk assessments and resource allocation. Professor Jost, how have rates of COVID-19 infection and severe illness varied by racial or ethnic group in the United States? Well, they varied significantly. In the article, I cite what I believe are still the most recent statistics, and Black people have been hospitalized at 2.3 times the rate and died at 1.7 times the rate of non-Hispanic white people. And Hispanic or Latinx people have been hospitalized at 2.2 times the rate and died at 1.8 times the rate of non-Hispanic white people. And also, the rates have been very high for indigenous people. And also, Black, Indigenous, and Hispanic individuals have died at earlier ages than white individuals. So what factors have contributed to those inequities? A lot of them have to do with socioeconomic status and poor living conditions on average, but also more exposure among frontline essential and critical infrastructure workers who are disproportionately members of historically marginalized groups. I heard an interview the other day with someone who had written about nurses who are Filipino immigrants, and they have tended to be in frontline treatment positions and have died at much higher rates than other nurses. So I think that's an important factor. And then there's some writing about the fact that one of the long-term effects of the stress created by discrimination is poor health status. These aren't biological factors. They're predominantly socioeconomic factors, which is one of the problems here. You write in your perspective article that although the government has recognized being a member of a marginalized racial or ethnic group as an independent risk factor for COVID-19, prioritizing those groups in the allocation of resources is legally problematic. So why is that the case? Well, under both the Constitution and the federal civil rights laws, race discrimination is prohibited. And in particular, a government must usually show a compelling relationship to a vital interest before it can consider race as a factor in decision-making. And there's, of course, been a lot of litigation with respect to this in education and in other areas, but now it's coming into healthcare as well. And so I think that it's emerging problem, which is going to continue to be more important. Maybe if I could just offer one additional thought on this, the HHS issued a proposed rule on discrimination in healthcare, implementing a section of the Affordable Care Act earlier this week. And one of the issues they explicitly address is algorithms that discriminate on the basis of race or other prohibited criteria. And they basically say that they shouldn't be used or that they should only be modified. And there's one paragraph or there's one sentence in that, the preamble to the rule, 
recognizing that sometimes race is an important consideration to correct for discriminatory problems or to correct for problems like we just talked about, but they don't say how the conflict between discrimination prohibitions and the need to deal with disparities in healthcare and in health are to be reconciled. So during the Omicron surge, guidance from New York State and New York City health departments advised considering race and ethnicity in the allocation of antibody treatments. So what was the rationale behind that move? Well, once again, they were trying to, based on proposals from the National Academy of Medicine and the CDC and the FDA, they were trying to appropriate a scarce supply of COVID treatments based on risk factors. And they recognized, as had again the National Academy and the CDC, that racial and ethnic status is a risk factor with respect to serious cases of COVID and death. So as you say in your article, there have been three lawsuits filed in federal courts asking that these New York guidances be blocked. So what were the arguments in those cases? And are they arguments that public health or health disparity scholars would consider to be valid? Again, the argument is that in two of the cases, well, all three of the cases really, The main argument is that considering non-white racial or ethnic status as a risk factor discriminates against white people, and that the Constitution and Title VI of the Civil Rights Law, and now 1557, prohibit discrimination on the basis of race, and that that includes white people. So that was their argument to the court. And basically, they said, if we get sick from COVID, we won't get the treatment that nine white people get, and that's unlawful discrimination. And how have those lawsuits played out? Well, so far, two of them have been decided by the district court, and the third has been put on hold until the decisions of the first two have been decided by the Second Circuit. And the cases have been fully briefed in the Second Circuit, but they haven't scheduled argument in them, and I imagine they won't be decided for at least several months. But the way they've played out so far at the lower court level is that the two courts have thrown the case out, dismissed the case because they said the plaintiffs had not shown standing, which is a constitutional requirement for a lawsuit in federal court, which means to say that they have not shown that they were actually injured and that the guidance caused their injury and that enjoining, stopping, blocking the guidance would solve their problem. So the court didn't really reach the question of discrimination, but rather held that if there was any discrimination, the plaintiffs in these cases had not been affected by it. They hadn't even gotten COVID. They had never asked for treatment. They'd never been denied treatment. And so the court said it was sort of a generalized grievance, not a real lawsuit. Finally, what lessons do you think these cases provide for future efforts to ensure that prevention and treatment policy can actually help mitigate health inequities? I think the lesson is that government entities and and healthcare providers have to be very careful in the way that they articulate the ways in which they are making decisions and the bases of those decisions. 
And so it is certainly the case that racial and ethnic disparities are a significant risk factor in COVID and in other conditions. But if a physician makes a decision considering that risk factor, the physician or the healthcare provider must consider all the other risk factors that are in play and explain how the decision was made. Thank you, Professor Jost.